Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but I had no idea where to go for answers. So with Running Explained, I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is Brody Sharp. Brody is a physiotherapist, or what we call a physical therapist in America, who owns an online clinic treating runners. He is also the host of the Run Smarter podcast, where he teaches runners to make smarter training decisions to reduce risk of injury, overcome current injuries, and increase their running performance. And that is precisely why he's on the show. Brody, welcome to the show. I am delighted to have you here. Elizabeth, it is a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So the first thing I always like to ask my guests is to tell me a bit about yourself, your origin story, how you became a runner, and then what led you to become a physiotherapist and found Run Smarter, which is your online, uh, is it a, a clinic or what would you just describe it as? I would describe the Run Smarter as a podcast and a website, but to add to the confusion, I also have an online clinic, which is called the Breakthrough Running Clinic. So there's a, a few b- bunch of different things going on. But uh, I did become a physio before I became a runner. I just I became a physio because I was injured quite often. I grew up playing basketball and saw a physio, yeah, very often. Loved what they did, loved the knowledge they had. And, yeah, I just wanted to help people and do it in an environment with working with athletes, which I, I loved. And it was probably about two or three years into my physio career that I became a runner and my basketball career ended and my sister wanted me to help her train for a half marathon. So similar to you, I became a runner very late in life and I start, I just caught the bug straight away, absolutely loved it, and then recognized once I was this recreational runner training for a marathon and just caught the bug and loved it, I started really enjoying treating runners once I was in clinic. I really enjoyed helping them with their running goals. I really enjoyed clarifying a lot of the questions I had, educating them a lot and just wanted the best outcomes for them. And it gave me energy as a physio rather than depleting my energy with seeing other people in the clinics that I wasn't too excited to see. But I just wanted to spend more time around these runners that gave me so much energy. And so I transitioned into seeing uh, runners as like – niching down to only seeing runners and so that's who I spend the the well all of my time with I have an online clinic so I treat runners all around the world and yeah just first and foremost is trying to educate them as much as I can and so that's where the podcast kind of manifested itself because I did recognize that runners get injured all the time and they love running they love it so much but there is a lot of ways we can help educate them which is exactly why your podcast aligns with with my career as well. It's trying to make sure they're well-informed, educated, and making smarter training decisions so that they can survive and thrive as a runner. And if they are injured, how they can overcome their injuries, because there is a lot of circulating misconceptions and contradictory information, like we should stretch, we should not stretch, you know, um, ice, heat, all these really different things, rest and run. There's so many different things. And I help try and clarify that as much as we can through evidence-based research and try and um, yeah simplify the message so that runners can survive and thrive. So 
that's where I find myself today. That's fantastic. And it's so important. I mean, especially as, you know, obviously you like me caught the running bug later in life, but you know, when you're older and have the agency to kind of dive into your new hobby, there is so much like misinformation out there. Newer runners who are slightly older tend to take on these really ambitious goals. They might not have, you know, the structural integrity to be able to do like, you know, and then of course they end up injured and and then, then it snowballs from there. So um, that's fantastic. So let's, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because I, in the weekly Q and A's that I do get, I get a lot of questions about injury from runners. And being that I am not a physical therapist, I'm a running coach who can give general advice on most running injuries. But the the volume of questions I was getting about when it's safe to return to injury, I've been out for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, or I took a year off or whatever it is. So really, today we're talking about how to return from injury. But there are kind of briefly two kinds of injuries that I like to, as I, as I see them, one is the mild, if you do these few very simple things, you can probably treat it on your own versus the, Hey, you really need to go see somebody. This is a bigger issue. What, what are, what's the dividing line? Like, how do you kind of classify those different types of injuries? If somebody says to you, I have this versus I have that. There are certain types of injuries where you can recommend them still to run. They can still be active, just might require some modifications and might require some rehab exercises, but we do that on the side and you can continue your running. It does depend on the injury, but there are certain characteristics of that injury which can dictate or give us a bit more guidance of, yes, you can run, no, you need to rest. And we can start with talking about severity levels, like how severe the pain is and how it's responding to training loads and you'll notice that different types of injuries or different levels of their pathology whether they are mild shin splints or major shin splints um, we can start to listen to our body listen to the pain levels listen to our interpret our symptoms and find okay you are tolerating what you're currently doing or you're not tolerating what you're currently doing and some general guidelines would be Um, trying to stay below a four out of 10 pain. I know a lot of people find it quite tough to put a number to it, but there are like, if we go off the general guidelines, just trying to get a general feel of pain levels staying quite stable and staying quite low. Um, So I like to say below a four out of 10 for most injuries, that's during the run. And if you, if it warms up and the pain levels start diminishing, that's fantastic but we need to try and pay attention to symptoms afterwards as well. We need to include that in our interpretation of whether you have tolerated your running bout correctly. And so let's just say you go for a 30 minute run. Let's say your injury is a two or a three out of 10. That's the most it gets up to. But then afterwards, say several hours later on that night after the run, the symptoms have increased to a five out of 10. And then you go to bed and you wake up the next morning and it's a six or a seven out of 10. It's those symptoms, paying attention to those 24 hours, 12 hours after that run and the next morning to make sure that there's no spike in pain, there's no increase in symptoms. And if everything stays quite stable and everything stays below a four out of 10, I would interpret that to say, okay, you have tolerated that 30 minutes of running. It might be at a certain pace. It might be on flat ground. We keep all the variables quite consistent and say, yes, your injury can tolerate that. However, it does need to slightly get better week over week. If it's three or four weeks into it and you're still a four out of 10 during your run and it's still, it's not um, 
it's not fluctuating, it's not getting better, not getting worse and staying the same, it probably means you're not really tolerating it because we do want to see a general improvement week over week. And they can be for, say, knee pain, like patellofemoral pain, which is the most common form of knee pain for runners. It could be ITB issues. It can be very mild shin splints. Um, it can be like uh, any sort of tendinopathy, so like Achilles or like um, the tendons at your hip or the tendons high up in your hamstring. All those sort of things can be quite minor and we can run through them. The Usually the only exception to the rule is stress fractures. And so stress fractures, we need zero out of 10 pain. We do need some time off rest. They're, that's like the most severe injury that runners can get. And that can be in the foot, it can be in the shin, it can be in the back, in the pelvis, high up in the, the thigh. And that gets picked up um, really late. It's misdiagnosed for a long time and does require serious intervention. So all that advice around um, keeping uh, symptoms like quite low, making sure there's no exacerbation over 24 hours, that all applies to the majority of injuries that are out there. But stress fractures are the exception to the rule. We need zero out of 10 pain once you start returning back to running. And there's some really good evidence. There's like, um, there's one in 2018, J.F. Escoulier was the author. They found if you get um, people with patellofemoral pain, the most common injury out there, and you just give them general advice, you still continue their running. Um, the advice that they had them do was uh, spread out their mileage throughout the week. So if they're doing two or three runs throughout the week, still keep their mileage, their weekly mileage consistent, but do it over four or five days. And they mentioned um, exactly the same. We want to keep pain levels below a four out of 10 during and afterwards. We want to make sure that you're avoiding hills and you're avoiding speed work and just general guidelines of that. And people who had patellofemoral pain for more than three months and then participated in the study, they all got better. And so they didn't do any other intervention. All they did was education and just some general rules to follow when it comes to their running and they got better. So uh, it's those sort of minor injuries, just follow the right guidance and you should be okay. That's fantastic. And I think that it's, it's kind of hard to tell a runner, you know, okay, you should probably take, you know, take some time off and address this injury now because so many runners are used to having experienced an injury and it eventually went away. I mean, I have definitely had some things that I didn't necessarily do anything about. They just ended up resolving themselves. So what are some big red flags of when you talk specifically about stress fractures, which can be hard to diagnose? What are some huge red flags of, Hey, this is not right. You need to see a professional about this injury. Um, huge red flags, uh, night pain. Like if you're lying in bed and there's this like remitting, like radiating kind of ache that's constantly there, um, that can be more of a symptom of bone pain, usually with, uh, other injuries when you load it, it hurts, but when you rest and like lie down on the couch, it goes away. Um, be careful of that. Anything that's, uh, sp spreading pain. Like if you find pain in your hips, that's also radiating down into your, foot. That's something that we need to really check out. Anything that's um, neurological. So if you're getting pins and needles, if you're getting altered sensation or numbness somewhere, that's also another red flag um, that you really want to get it assessed, get it um, checked out. But the other red flags is it not getting better. Like you said, there are some injuries that just spontaneously get better because you're observing them week over week. You're like, yeah, it's actually improving. The ones that just don't improve and just stay consistent or just get worse week over week, you need to jump on those as soon as you can because if you try to ignore it 
or you're not really remembering what, what symptoms were like two weeks ago and they're more severe now and you're just thinking that it's that's just what it has been like and it's been quite consistent, um, you're going to find yourself into trouble because all of a sudden you're going into a physio for the first time and you've had this injury for four or five months. I see it all the time. And then it's so hard to work backwards and so hard to get back to pain-free running because you've been injured for so long. That's when it can get um, a bit, it can get a bit tricky as opposed to you've had this injury for four weeks rather than four months and we can, um, your capacity is quite high and you can still tolerate high levels of running and we, we've got a bit more to work with. Yeah, definitely the uh, ignore it. And if it keeps getting worse, continue to ignore it is the wrong path to follow when it comes Correct. to running injury. <laughs> uh, because of course, the danger is, is that running through an injury is going to take you out of the game for instead of a week or two months, or even longer, if you have to have surgery to correct whatever is going on. So like, how, how, how commonly do you see runners who come in at the beginning of their injury versus something that they've ignored for far too long? Yeah, it's rare. It's rare for someone to be so sensible to do that. <laughs> um, usually the only people who come in really early are the ones who have made that mistake in the past. The ones who have had several injuries and left it too long and the rehab has been super long. And then they've, as soon as uh, another symptom or their recurrent injury comes back, that's when they jump on the front foot straight away. And that's when they're, they're really proactive because they've made that mistake. They're like, I'm not letting that happen again. But we know that runners, like I have made it my duty. You as well, we're working with runners all the time. They are quite stubborn. They, can, they do love running. That's all they want to do. And um, that's just personality type in the population we've decided to work with and so uh yeah you can't you, you can just educate them you can't like you can try and um say like as soon as you can as soon as symptoms aren't improving as soon as your injury isn't getting better slowly jump onto the front foot really get it assessed really make sure you're doing the right things um but sometimes they don't adhere to it but all we can do is help them with the best education and something we'll talk a little bit later is the psychology of, uh, of when runners can't run and what we can do to help them. But I want to talk just a bit, if you want to, about, um, I think one of the reasons a lot of runners are afraid to take any rest or reduced mileage is because they're afraid of losing their fitness. But it actually takes a lot longer for you to lose your fitness than you think. Like a lot of runners are afraid to take a couple days off. And we know it takes a couple weeks to actually make any, any sort of beginning decline in the fitness that you have. Yeah, and it depends on what you're doing during that rest. Like if you have to take some time off, um, what are you doing during that time off? We know that the body does waste away very quickly if you have complete bed rest. And we do know that with hospital patients, people who have like just had surgery and they are bedridden, they will decline a lot quicker. We're looking at like maybe five or six days. That's when muscles start wasting away. And you can even see people who... Um, are put into a cast for other reasons. You know, they've, they say two weeks in a cast and it comes off and it, everything's so small. All the muscles have just like shrunk compared to the other side. But you need to understand that is complete bed rest. If during your injury, if you're having time off, if you're still walking, still up and moving around, if you're doing some sort of strengthening exercises that are stimulating some muscle um, activation, the decline is going to be so slow. And if you are avoiding walking if you're avoiding long like jogging walking cross training 
Um, you're probably looking at maybe two or three weeks before you lose fitness. But if you're staying active, if you're going for long walks, if you're doing hikes, if you're cycling, cross training, you're probably looking at maybe four to six weeks before you start noticing a decline because you're being so proactive and you're still stimulating the cardiovascular system. You're still engaging those muscles and it's not flaring up symptoms. We want to make sure that the type of cross training that you do is appropriate and not um, contributing to exacerbation of the symptoms. But just keep in mind that if you're active during that recovery, during that time off running, yeah, it's going to be super gradual that you start noticing that decline. And then it bounces back super quickly. It's not at the same time that you started from baseline. So if you are a runner, you've gone from zero to um, 10 Ks and it took you two months. If you have time off and then you're back to running two Ks, getting back to that 10 Ks is going to be a lot quicker than it did when you very first started. And it's just the body just knows what to do. It's adapted to that before and keep that in mind. That's sometimes reassuring for people. They think they're back to square one, but they're not. They're starting a square one, but it takes a, a lot quicker to go back to where you previously were. Yeah, the body has an amazing memory. And I, I always say this too, like it's so much easier to return to where you've already been fitness wise. So, and even elite runners go through periods where they're less in shape. Of course, they're less in shape is like our best shape ever. But, <laughs> you know, they go through their cycles too of being less in shape and then being more in shape. And they know that getting back into shape is much easier once you've done it already. And they do it over and over and over again. And I think that's something that we can all learn from <laughs> as well. Yeah, correct. So let's talk a bit about, okay, the injury happened and I would like to, and I, of course, I'm like throwing a bunch of stuff at you that I didn't include in my questions outline, which I always like to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's talk a bit about how rest is not always the best way to address an injury. Yeah, I love this. And I talk about this all the time on my podcast. It's probably one of the biggest concepts I constantly refer people back to. And we need to recognize that, Um, well, one of the first concepts I have is your adaptation zone. So every joint, every muscle, every ligament within the body has a certain adaptation zone. If you train that structure to a certain amount, whether it be running, whether it be strength training, whether it be cycling, if you hit that adaptation zone, the body will adapt and get stronger and yet become stronger because of it. There is underloading the body, which is uh, you can go for a five minute walk. Yes, you're putting load through your body, but for most of us, it's probably enough to trigger adaptation. So you're not going to get stronger if you walk for five minutes, but there's also overdoing it. So you can exceed your adaptation zone and things start breaking down rather than building up. And that's just, um, that's just a way of life. We all have a limitation. Every muscle, every ligament will have its limits. When we're talking about running, when we're talking about complete rest, if someone's injured and they completely rest, keep in mind that when you do get injured, let's just say we're getting a a niggly knee, your adaptation zone diminishes. It like in the short term, while it's irritated, while it's quite sensitive, while it's quite painful, it doesn't get weaker, but that adaptation zone drops. It just because it's unable to tolerate the loads that you're currently putting it through because it's sensitive and it's just what the body does. If you combine that niggly, sensitive, irritable um, adaptation zone, what you're doing, if you address that with complete rest, it begins to continue weakening. So we're addressing a a short-term weakened state with a weakened approach, and it just gets weaker and weaker from there. And so when someone 
rests for one to two weeks and then they go back to running, that knee itself, uh, that adaptation zone is quite low, lower than what you'd usually expect. And so when they go back to running, if it's their usual 20 or 30 minute run, that's exceeding, it's now exceeding their adaptation zone. What was once two weeks ago within their adaptation zone, now it's too much. And so then because it is too much, symptoms get worse again, it becomes more sensitive and it becomes weaker. And so some runners might interpret that to say, I just might need more time off. Um, maybe my body just needs more time to heal. And so they have two weeks off. And so that diminishes their strength even further. And that adaptation to zone continues to plummet because they're not um, recognizing this concept of the adaptation zone. Whereas the best thing to do, if you do have a niggly knee, if it's sensitive, okay. So we now know that our adaptation zone is in a temporary short-term um, sensitive state where the adaptation zone is slightly lower than it was before. So let me combat that with lower levels of running. So let me still hit that adaptation zone or let me do say wall squats or let me do lunges where symptoms aren't flaring it up. That's still hitting your adaptation zone. And so during the time off running or during time of low levels of running, we're still triggering some sort of adaptation. So we still maintain a lot of strength. But a lot of times this concept that I call the pain rest weakness downward spiral is they combine the pain with rest, then it weakens, then they try and return, there's more pain, they need more rest, and then it weakens. And then there's literally this downward spiral until the point where everything's irritating them. Walking and stairs and just slightly going uphill is starting to irritate them because that adaptation zone has plummeted down and we really need to try and work their way back up. And especially for injuries with the underlying cause is a weakness or instability in another area. Like you have to fix the problem as well. I mean, for the overuse injuries, of course, you know, patellofemoral syndrome is one of them where it's, it is a simple kind of overloading and reduction and just what you <clears> just <throat> talked about will help. But there are some injuries where there it's caused by a weakness or a lack of stability or a strength imbalance in another part of your body. And just pure rest is not going to address that. Correct. Yeah. And usually when we do these cross training or we do our rehab, we're not just addressing the knee, we're addressing other things. We're addressing like your, your entire leg, we're addressing the hips. And so, yeah, um, the active approach is it hits a, a lot of points that gets you back to running pain-free. So yeah, very good point. So let's talk about, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go through the motions of somebody. We have a runner who is injured. They have gone through a period of time where they've rehabbed or rested. Um, and then let's say they are coming back from their injury. What common mistakes do you see returning runners make after they've taken time off to address an injury? It's good to follow up with this one because we're going back to that adaptation zone concept. It's recognizing that if you go back to running, your adaptation zone isn't where it was. It's it's fluctuated a little bit and we need to find where that adaptation zone is and keep hitting that adaptation zone for you to build back up. Because if it is an Achilles issue, like the rest of your body may still be at its predetermined um, pre-injury adaptation zone, but your current Achilles that's a bit grumbly isn't at that ad adaptation zone with the rest of the body. We need to find where that is. Um, so some common mistakes would just be returning back too soon or like returning back to doing too much or running too fast or trying to return to your previous levels of running in that short term to be like, oh, 5Ks should be okay because I ran 5Ks three weeks ago um, 
and not recognizing that that might overdo it in in time and that's that's pretty much the most common one that we can see uh sometimes continuous running if you just go back to continuous running without doing a, a break in between um i always say that people should start off with a an embarrassing slow embarrassingly short distance and then building up from there because we know we're not going to exceed your adaptation zone if you are doing that embarrassing slow embarrassingly short run but then we build up from there because we know even if runs are doing it we're slowly building up and pretty soon within a couple of days or a week we're going to catch that adaptation zone and then we're just going to slowly build up from there and a lot of runners don't like that (laughs) a lot of runners need to get used to if they're coming back from an injury get used to doing that embarrassingly slow run but it has tremendous benefits and so uh keep that in mind um keep just keep in mind that we're still being active we're still doing our rehab you'll have some sort of exercise that the physio will give you or some sort of rehab instructions once people get back to running they sometimes drop off all that rehab and all that hard work that they've done when they should be continuing to build up in their rehab as well as they're running so that's another mistake that a lot of people make but I think most people will appreciate just doing too too much, do, running too fast, incorporating heels too quickly, incorporating just other things too quickly that's exceeding their adaptation zone. But that's why I keep introducing people to this um, concept of adaptation because it applies to injury prevention, applies to while you're injured, retur- applies to returning to running. And it's a, a simple concept that people can can grasp and then just apply. So I said before, talking about kind of the the psychology of running, and I know a lot of people find huge benefits for their mental health or just like their sanity, (laughs) that running is such an integral part of who they are and what they do and and their lives. Uh, And it can be really, really challenging for some runners to have to take either a reduction or a rest from running when they're dealing with an injury. And I know you've talked about this before. How do you um, help those runners find kind of the balance in when they're in rehab mode? Yeah, you need to have an honest conversation with them because every run is different. Every runner will be attached to running differently. Um, every runner runs for different reasons. And we we do need to recognize that if we tell a runner, okay, you can't run for three weeks, that might have a huge um, emotional like impact on them because they they do run for emotional like or mental clarity and just a, a mental well-being and so if we take that away from them that can have significant detrimental impacts on their recovery itself because then they start to um, really become down the cells that become a bit depressed and that that can have real detrimental effects on their recovery so we do need to recognize that we if they are able to run make sure we keep them running if you go to a health professional or a doctor who isn't proficient with seeing runners they're going to tell you not to run. They're going to say, why are you running anyway? Running's bad for your knees. Um, you know, maybe you should just give up running. That can be really, that can hit them hard. Whereas if you go to someone like a running coach or a health professional that's, that loves seeing runners, they'll recognize how much running we can reduce you to or just keep you running. And this is the, the things we can do while you're still running and see how things go. Um, so we can still be proactive and keep you running as much as we can. But if we do need to have a reduction in running or if we need to have them completely off running, we kind of need to have this discussion, the risk versus reward discussion. Okay, um, what is it worth to continue running? How, what, what's the risk of reducing your amount of running? 
and how much do we tip the balance on risk versus reward? Because they can say, you know, Brody, I've, I do enjoy running, but I'm, I'm just fine if we spend a couple of days like doing the cross trainer or walking on a treadmill or going hiking instead or doing some bike riding. Uh, but another runner will say, no, I need to run. Like running is my life. Running is my escape. Running is my mental health. I, I, I need it. So we can say, okay, let's tip the balance because that risk versus reward equation is completely different. Let's try and keep them running as much as they can and keep their mental well-being in check while trying to do everything else to recover this injury. And if the injury doesn't get better, if the injury gets worse and exacerbates, hey, that's the risk that we've taken on. That's the discussion that we've had. But as long as they're recognizing that that balance, that risk versus reward balance. But that's why it's completely important to, while they are running or while you're running in general, just have other options. Have like um, some cross-training options if you enjoy swimming, if you enjoy cycling, hiking, um, cro- like some sort of exercise fitness classes. It's the runners who only love running and only they're only runners. Once they're injured and, and running is affecting that injury, that's when they get really stuck because they've got nowhere to go and they don't like doing anything else. All they do is running. They're, they've um, pushed themselves into a corner and they can't really get out anywhere. And so... Yeah, having some cross-training options can be really beneficial. Finding some cross-training options that you enjoy could be really beneficial. Um, so I think there is a conversation there. I do think it's a really important topic because we we do need to look at the psychological benefits as opposed to just the, the physical injury, the mechanical kind of side of it. Um, so it is an important conversation, but we just need to keep that in mind. And of course, the best way to not to have to take time off at all is to do some basic injury prevention, which uh, I know that many runners, unless they've gone through it before, like you said, um, can be notoriously bad at being proactive about their kind of what I call the incidentals or the 1%, like the strength and the mobility and the foam rolling and all that kind of stuff. Um, so from, from your lips as a physiotherapist, tell us runners, what are the key things we can do to prevent or reduce our risk of injury? I can start with uh, what's the most relevant and then sort of like peter down to what's less relevant, but we still should consider. So number one, if you want to reduce your risk of injury, if you want, if you want to try and, uh, prevent injuries as much as you can. Not all injuries can be prevented. That's just life because runners will do everything right. And some of them might still get injured. We can't get that, that risk of injury down to zero. It just won't happen. Um, but there are some things we can do to reduce that risk of injury. And if symptoms do arise, like myself, I try and train as smart as I can, but injuries still happen. But I know exactly what to do day one, day two, day three, when symptoms arise, so that it becomes a four-day injury, not a four-week or four-month injury. Um, that's where I think the real magic is, and that's um, where the podcast kind of teeters towards. But the number one important thing is finding that adaptation zone that you currently have and making sure we don't underload, making sure we don't overload, and making sure that we progress. So as you get stronger, as you do your running programs, as you slightly get faster, as you slowly get um, fitter and run longer distances, that adaptation zone slowly starts to elevate and you just follow that adaptation zone along with it. And so that's where running coaches are really important because they develop running programs. They develop um, a very slow improvement where there's a lot of easy running mixed in with some top tier kind of fast running and just slowly building up weekly mileage 
And that's just following your adaptation zone. It's triggering the adaptation response and just slowly building you up and getting you, um, getting you fitter. And the body just does its amazing job of adapting to what you're throwing at it um, as long as it's not too abrupt. And so number one is just finding that adaptation zone you currently have and building you up from there. Number two to prevent injuries is just avoiding really abrupt changes in your training. So it would be things like changing shoe type really quickly. Uh, If you've gone from a traditional running shoe to either a heavy bulky shoe or like a light minimalist type of shoe with less heel drop or less support, uh, that's not necessarily saying that it's bad for you, but sometimes the transition can be way too much and the body just gets overloaded really quickly because that's a way of exceeding your adaptation zone. And then all of a sudden things start breaking down. So abrupt changes would be shoe type, abrupt changes would be terrain. Um, so doing flats and then all of a sudden just doing a lot of hills, like you're still doing the same mileage, you're still doing the same intensity, but the terrain has changed. Um, abrupt changes, it would be other things like speed. It'd just be like doing trails. So instead of just running on roads, now we're running on um, different turf, different like dirt or changing directions a little bit too much. Um, yeah, most people can recognize that. The, the third one I would say is when it comes to running technique, there's not a lot of evidence to support like pronation or like knees collapsing in or any link to injury with foot type, foot shape, um, running style. However, there is one that's probably the most important and that's your initial contact when you reaching far in front of your body. Like when a runner runs and contacts their foot, the very first time they contact the, the foot, we want to see how far in front of the body that currently is. And if you do have this overstride where you're contacting with your heel, it's really in far in front of your body, that's producing a, a fair amount of breaking force in your body. And you might, if someone is overstriding, you want to reduce that and make your contact slightly closer to underneath your body, reducing those breaking forces, and just helping you with a more efficient stride. That doesn't, like, I'm not talking about um, how they're contacting with their foot. So they can still be a heel striker. They can still be a midfoot or a forefoot striker. That's totally up to them and what they've adapted to because there's no link to heel striking increases risk of injury. But how far in front of the body it is, um, there, there does seem to be some link to injury. So that might be something to look at. Um, number four would be under-recovering if you've got those ultra athletes who are running six, seven days a week, or they're just doing a a massive amount of mileage. They need recovery. The body needs to absorb and kind of process a lot of that physical load that they're putting it through. And so things like sleep, things like monitoring, like if you're high, if you have high levels of stress and you're not managing that stress, um, their nutrition, hydration, all those sort of things, you need to make sure that your recovery is adequate to what you're putting your body through. And so um, on my podcast throughout December, I did a whole entire theme on recovery where I interviewed all these recovery experts and did some solo episodes myself just to try and break down a lot of the information and a lot of education around how to recover properly um, because I do recognize that it is important. We either overtrain or we under-recover, and that's why runners do get injured. It's the equation between the two. Um, that's why the body starts breaking down. And so that would be probably the the biggest four that I'll see. Um, And then in terms of less relevance, like those five to one percenters might be things like um, 
hip drop. It might be things like a crossover running gait. Just these really like these really like um, minor adjustments in uh, angles that some runners tend to, to run with. But that will also depend on the type of injury that they get. If they have shin splints or if they have hip pain or if they have knee pain, these little angles that might offload a certain structure um, to help reduce their risk of developing that particular issue. But that's getting too nitty gritty. If you want to focus on those four tips that I just um, just came up with. So it's like the adaptation, it's the abrupt changes, it's the under-recovering and it's the overstriding. It's going to target every runner. It's going to be the most beneficial that they can get. Um, any questions on that? Does that, does that make sense? No, that's fantastic. And I hope that any, any listeners who are familiar with the stuff that I put out there, hopefully none of that was new to you <laughs> because <laughs> those are all things that I talk about because they are so important. I mean, especially the recovery aspect, the not doing too much too quickly, the not, you know, huge increase volume or intensity. It's really hard to do both at the same time, that sort of thing. And I think that, um, like, it, like we talked about before, you know, when runners are especially new to the sport and are kind of, you know, can get away with a lot more at the beginning and these huge increases compared to where they were. And all of a sudden it catches up with them. Um, and you know, what do you mean? I, I can't go from 10 to 45 miles in two months, you know, like yeah. you know, per week, like that's no, no, no. You can't just increase and increase and increase your mileage indefinitely. You always need to balance it with the rest of it, the recovery, um, and then of course, yeah, overstriding is like, yeah, why are you, why do you have your brakes on? <laughs> yeah. You're just hurting yourself. So that's fantastic. With the, if, if athletes are doing really high mileage, like the, the more, the bigger mileage that they build up, the more they need to start prioritizing recovery. If they're just, if they're running three times a week and their probably their weekly mileage is say, you know, 30 Ks, it's not a whole lot. They don't need to prioritize the same as someone else to do 150 Ks a week. It's just, um, it just, it just needs to become higher and higher in the priority list. But what I also think is important is yes, these practices will reduce your risk of injury. But another thing is to what doesn't link to injury, because a lot of people have these beliefs. A lot of people have been told a lot of things that lead to injury, things like shoes, orthotics, marketing is like really big these days and they can just advertise in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, so while I think stretching is quite good for helping the body switch to recovery mode, like having that downtime, it can be really important. You're not like tight runners don't get injured. Well, they get injured at the same rate that flexible runners do. And we there's a ton of evidence to show that Stretching doesn't reduce risk of injury, especially before a run. Like if you, your warm up phase, uh, if you were to stretch and if you were to not stretch, it doesn't reduce your risk of injury. Um, things like, like massage balls, foam rolls, all those devices, I do think they do have their place because they feel good in the moment. And like I said, it does help the body switch into recovery mode. If you're one that's always quite wound up, then having a, a yoga session or having a light session can help switch the body. Okay. Now we're recovering, but the actual practice of foam rolling and massage balls don't, doesn't release anything. Um, so we keep that in mind. There's a ton of evidence to show that there's no link to injury with that shoes and orthotics. You're not going to get injured because you have flat feet. You're not going to get injured because you have a leg length discrepancy. A lot of people get told these beliefs and they strongly believe it. Um, why I get, why I have to educate my, my runners so much is because 
when they're constantly injured, they tell me, they're like, yes, I know I get injured. And yes, I do know it's because I don't stretch enough. I say, no, 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 no. Uh, let's, let's, um, let's backpedal a little bit. Let's try and find out why you're actually getting injured because if they believe themselves that they're getting injured because they don't stretch enough, they've got this blind spot or they're not drawing their attention to what's actually causing their, their issues. So it might be some training errors. It might be their training philosophy. It might be just like their weekly routine, but they're not focusing on any of that because they think they're getting injured because they don't stretch enough. And they're not going to stretch enough anyway because um, runners who don't like stretching, they just won't stretch and they'll just get injured and tell themselves it's because they don't stretch. But if we tell, tell them actually, maybe it's because we're not prioritizing recovery enough or maybe it's because we're doing too much abrupt changes. Maybe you're not, maybe you're doing 50% of your training at really high intensity and we should back that off to say 20% should be high intensity, um, which I know you've done posts on as well, talking about that 80-20 kind of rule. Um, so let's try start drawing their attention to what actually is contributing to their risk of injury rather than these beliefs that are not really helping them and not serving them. So that's the idea of my podcast anyway, is just trying to uncover a lot of these unhelpful beliefs. And there's a ton of evidence that we can point to and direct people to, to say, to, to help support these opinions. I love that myth busting. And for everybody, I'm definitely going to link to his podcast in the show notes so you can get it easy access that way. Um, and I love that when you talked before, but you have a whole series about recovery and I have to go and listen to that because I'm a huge fan of recovery in general, but yeah, the myths, I think, I think it's really important to address because you're right. I mean, I get questions about like, you know, is it the shoes? I'm like, well, it's, it's almost, yes, it's possible. Some people have gotten shoes that were so horrifically wrong for them for whatever reason, it could have caused an issue, but it's almost never the shoes. Mm. it's it probably if it is the shoes it'd be you haven't adapted to those shoes as well um so keep that in mind if you're if you're having really minimalist shoes that have a lot less support you just need to be really strong and it takes a long time for you to get strong enough to run a lot of mileage in those shoes so it could be the shoes but it's not the shoes aren't causing the injury it's the transition into those shoes which cause the injury Let's go off in a little bit of tangent about shoes. Um, I feel like more people are in stability shoes than should be. That stability shoes are more common amongst runners who should be in a neutral shoe. What's your take on that? So it's a very common experience for people to say, walk into a shoe store and uh, they say, yeah, I need new running shoes. And they say, okay, let's have a look at your foot shape. Let's have a look at how you're moving. Let's have a look at you on that gate scan pressure pad thing where you walk over it and you can see where they're putting their pressure. And based on all their tests, all their measurements, they say, okay, you need a stability shoe. You need a X shoe because your feet are this shape. And we know that there's no correlation between what foot shape you have and what shoe you need. Um, or what shoe you will thrive in. Uh, there's zero correlation, which makes it it makes it very confusing. Well, what should I actually go with? Um, it won't reduce your risk of injury. Uh, we do know that if you have, um, there was a study where they had 18,000 feet that they studied. They put them all in neutral shoes. They were all novice runners and they weren't, they, the, there was a whole bunch of runners who wanted to start running. They put them all in neutral shoes and they rank them or categorize them in foot type. So they have the, the over-supinators, the supinators, the neutrals, the pronators, the over-pronators. And then they just put them in neutral shoes and see how they went. And they all got injured at the same amount. And if anything, 
the ones who were pronators and got put in neutral shoes, they actually um, thrived more. They actually ran more with less injury. And so I can see that maybe pronation is actually a protective mechanism and they don't need that support to prevent pronation because we know that based on that movement, what it does, what pronation does is help us absorb that load over a longer period of time. We're not just hitting the ground and then taking off without any moving parts. Whereas if we have more moving parts, we're slowly applying that load and slowly decelerating a lot of the ground reaction forces that are going through our body. So that um, that study, it's quite a large study. If we're looking at 18,000 feet, um, we're, we're sort of, yeah, we're, and we're looking at how all their, their running injuries, we're seeing that the pronators probably get injured less per um, thousand Ks. And so if you were to find all this information, say, okay, well, what should I do? There, there's the experts tend to think that there's this comfort factor. There's this preferred movement method where if you just put yourself into a whole bunch of different shoes, see how it feels, your body will have this preferred movement path, um, whether that be into pronation, whether that be totally straight. And if you find a shoe that you find really comfortable, that's usually going to be the one that you're going to thrive in. It's going to be the one that's going to, um, help your preferred movement path instead of resisting that movement path. Because if you have, if you pronate and you're putting a shoe that's preventing your pronation, it's going to be quite uncomfortable and it's going to be, um, yeah, it's not going to move through your preferred movement path. And so what I suggest is try a whole bunch of different shoes, see what you is best fitting, see what is more comfortable, make sure you got the right shoe size, um, but find the one that's most comfortable, run in a whole bunch of different ones. The one that you find comfortable, that's the one you should start in or thrive in. Uh, and if you do want to transition to a different shoe, because we do know if you have a lighter running shoe, it does help with running economy. Um, so it will help with performance if you have a lighter shoe. But we do need to recognize that if you transition to a different type, it just needs to be very gradual and the body will adapt to that new shoe type um, over time. And so that's usually the advice I have for running shoes. Um, just try a whole bunch of different ones and see how you go and make sure uh, it's not too abrupt if you do decide to change that shoe. Yeah. The running shoe thing, it's so personal. And I, I mean, I get asked, you know, oh, what shoe should I wear? And I say, you literally have to go into a store and try on like 12 different pairs of running shoes because every company fits differently. And within those companies, their models fit differently and always go up at least a half a size. I know for most companies, you know, maybe a full size, depending on the brand. So it isn't like, oh, this is the one shoe to rule them all. You really do need to go in and find the shoe that fits your foot because all of our feet are so different. Yeah, totally agree. Um, no, I, I, uh, that was kind of my, when I be, was a very new runner and I went and bought my first pair of running shoes at a running store and they were, it's a very good store and they were very reputable, but I went in with my classic, oh, you know, I'm a new runner. My knees hurt. My shin splints are acting up. My interior ankles hurt and I have very high arches. And so they put me in a stability shoe where, you know, six months later, I was like, I don't, I don't think I need stability shoes. And I've been in, neutral, in neutral shoes ever since. I should never have been in a stability shoe because I basically went in with very common new runner issues. Um, and so ever since I kind of learned that, it's been like the, uh, the outrage of how we um, tend to have shoes marketed towards us rather than finding the shoe that's supposed to work for our bodies. Yeah. So that's a, clearly a personal <laughs> subject for me. <laughs> well, it's, we have to try and tackle these um these marketing employees that have billions and billions of dollars and trying to educate people on the right matters because like shoes, advertisement and orthotics, they're not regulated the same way that we market certain things. And 
we need to abide by certain evidence-based things and we can't tell people things that are misleading, but advertisers can definitely do that. And so it's really easy to find a poster of someone who has these collapsing feet and you look at them from behind, you can see this like bowing of the Achilles and the foot collapsing in. You can have a look at all the um, lines of their hips being out of line, their knees buckling in. And then that side-by-side comparison of someone having orthotics underneath their foot and uh, everything props back up. The Achilles are back straight, the legs straight, the hips are straight. It's like extremely effective marketing. Um, but it's just not the way that the body works and it's just not the way that it actually makes sense. Like a lot of these misconceptions make a whole lot of sense, but that's why they're there in the first place. And it's why people believe it in the first place, because if you look at someone who's pronating kind of like someone who over pronates, just, it looks cringeworthy. It's like, you probably shouldn't be running like that. But when we have a look at uh, the evidence and we see all them running, we say, Hey, they don't break down half as much as what other runners do. And it goes to show if you go to a health professional and they say, yeah, you're getting injured because your foot collapses in or your knees collapse in, they're, they're touching together. You've run like that for years and years and it's you, you haven't broken down. It's only been when you've made an adjustment in your training and you've done too much too soon that the body started breaking down. You've been running the same way your entire life, but it's that abrupt change that's caused that injury. It's not how you're running. And so we need to find, we need to just take that, very candid kind of conversation and make sure they're educated properly because a lot of marketers, they want you to buy stuff and they want you to say like, you know, every six months you need to change your shoes because they're going to wear out the foam and it's going to lead to more pronation. You know, if I was a, if I was selling shoes, I'd want people to buy shoes as often as I can, as often as I can get away with. And so that's a lot of times what marketing is towards. And a lot of health professionals, they want buy-in. They want to kind of, threat or they want to elevate the level of threat and say all these bad things are going on to you you need to make sure that you need to listen to me and act quickly and see me three times a week just to make sure that we're not overcut make sure that we're on the right track and kind of scare people into buying into a lot of the the treatment process but a lot of that comes with fear a lot of that comes with misinformation um and it's never a good thing when it comes to long-term solutions so we need to be cautious we need to follow the evidence we need to make sure we're listening to the right type of people and just getting the right information because it can be a slippery slope. Absolutely. I completely agree with all of that. Um, so let's, uh, let's get back on track to the main part of our discussion. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and you did a whole series about threading to running after injury. I know you have a whole series of guidelines. So let's go through the common steps of, okay, for somebody who, if lucky them haven't been injured, or let's say they are experiencing experiencing an injury and are not sure what the path to returning to running looks like, let's let's talk about what a runner can expect when they are returning after injury. So, if they are injured, it would depend on the type of injury, depend on their current severity, like how irritable that issue is. Um, but there are some guidelines, some loose guidelines that we can put into place, and then. Based on the individual, we can fluctuate or alter these guidelines here and there. But we want to have a look at your current level of capacity. We want to see, okay, with this current injury, how much can you currently tolerate uh, and get them on that starting point? So if someone's walking for 30, 60 minutes and they're tolerating that injury really well, I'd say, okay, great, let's start some hopping. And hopping is a really nice test for a lot of injuries because it doesn't necessarily mimic the action, but it puts the tissue through enough load to assess whether they can tolerate it. If you can tolerate hopping, 
you can tolerate like short levels of walking. And so no matter what the injury, if you're hopping on one side for 30 seconds, if you can do that quite well um, with enough, like they rebound quite quickly. They're not limping. They're not kind of um, avoiding any sort of pain. If you can tolerate that compared to the other side, if it's quite similar, so 30 seconds hopping one side, 30 seconds hopping on the other side, and it feels relatively uh, balanced, then you're definitely ready for some low levels of running. So that's what it can kind of look like. But depending on your injury, we can do squats, lunges, we can do deadlifts, we can do a whole bunch of other um, challenging, um, you know, provoking kind of injury uh, tests just to see if it produces any symptoms and then just make the judgment call and say, yeah, you're ready for low levels of running. And for the most part, especially if you've had a lot of time off, especially if that injury was quite severe, we do want to start with some walk running and whether that's for a couple of weeks, we have to convince runners because a lot of runners don't like walk running, but I've come to love it. I actually love running, walking, having like that, that break in between, especially when I'm returning from injury, but there are certain running programs out there the couch to 5k is a really nice example of just starting off really slow breaking it up with a fair few walks i've got one a return to run program that i give my clients which is just really easy it's like week one week two week three week four of just slowly building up more and more running and day one week one is extremely conservative it's five minutes of walking followed by three rounds of running for one minute walking for one minute and then finishing with five minutes of walking so all in all you're walking for, uh, you, you're active for about 15 minutes, but you're only doing three minutes of running that entire time. And whether I start someone on week one, day one, um, depends on their injury. I might start someone at week three, but depending on their injury, I might say, okay, you're probably week one, day one. Let's see how you go. Pay attention to symptoms like we're talking about before, paying attention to symptoms during, paying attention to symptoms 24 hours afterwards to see if there is any exacerbation of symptoms. If it's not, then let's just progress through. We might skip two days if you're finding it really easy we might we might get to week three and then symptoms are becoming a little bit niggly so we back off to week two and repeat week two again and it's just a way that we can fluctuate through this return to run program we can base on symptoms all the way through we interpret the symptoms correctly all the way through and then by the end of week four we're probably doing around um seven minutes of continue like five rounds of seven minutes running, one minute walking. So we're still really breaking it up with walking, but there's a lot of running in there. Um, and then if you're negoti negotiating that quite successfully, then we can get into continuous running. But that's kind of what it looks like. Depending on their injury, there might be certain modifications to their running. So we might need to increase their cadence or we might need to reduce that um, overstriding. We might need to avoid hills we might need to um, avoid going downhill or changing direction or trails um, but that will all depend on the individual and yeah just interpreting symptoms along the way just learning about our body along the way and if we do get to a point let's just say we get to the start of week four and symptoms flare up that's the symptoms are only going to be flared up for 24 to 48 hours because we've only made a very slight adjustment because we've only made a very gradual increase that has brought on symptoms and there hasn't been like this really abrupt change it's only just enough to say okay this is my adaptation zone we've just slightly exceeded that adaptation zone and symptoms are slowly starting to come on okay let's back off because we now know where your adaptation zone is let's train a little bit longer in there and um, follow as your body adapts and as your body gets stronger following that along the way so yeah it's all about listening to their own body and this is kind of a way we can tailor to the individual because we're listening to the individual's 
needs and um, the body signals. And so uh, sounds sensible to me. I don't know. What do you think? No, I think it's exactly right. And, uh, and of course, this return to running, you are doing in conjunction with the physical therapy, like activity specific to rehabbing their actual injury. So that's, that's like a hand in hand program, right? Absolutely. And that would depend on the type of injury as well. Um, like I said, sometimes patellofemoral pain can get away with just return to run with the right guidance, but it will depend on the severity. Um, if you if you have shin splints, like calf strengthening has been really beneficial. If you have, say, hip issues, definitely doing a lot of hip strengthening. If you've got a high hamstring tendon issue, then really um, trying to do a lot of slow, heavy resistance work for a lot of tendon issues. Um, so we're just, yes, we, we want to keep in mind that we're doing our rehab work while we're doing this return to run program. And that's, I guess, where a health professional can really come in because we need to know how much to do of each, where to work that into your routine. Do we do a strength session and a run session on the same day? Like these sort of symptoms, all these sort of questions that come up that can, that are really based on the individual, based on how they're um, responding to certain loads. Um, but yeah, very important that we still continue that rehab uh, protocol. And let me ask you one kind of like a addendum question about tendon injuries specifically, because I'm reading more about how tendon injuries and specifically Achilles tendon issues tend to be degenerative in nature. Um, do you have any kind of thoughts or insight on that? Because when you hear degenerative, you think, oh God, there's nothing I can do to help. If this pain is here, it's going to be here forever. Yeah. And we can say this for a lot of tendons. Um, there are certain tendon pathologies. We do have when a tendon first reacts, um, we do know that that's not degenerative. We do know that it's just overloaded the body and we call that like an acute reactive tendon. Uh, but over time, if you mismanage that for long periods, that can start to slowly become degenerative. And so small fibers within that tendon start to um, yeah become degenerative. They, they've um, disorganized their orientation. So their structure is a little bit disorganized and it can be quite fearful for a lot of tendons and a lot of runners, especially if they've had it for a long period of time and they, they've been told that it is degenerative. But what we need to recognize is that the degenerative portion of that tendon is only very small. It's only a very small part of that whole tendon that is degenerative and producing a lot of that pain and contributing to a lot of those symptoms. So what we do with uh, physio and with like exercise therapy is that degenerative portion can't revert back to a healthy portion. But what we do is we train the rest of the tendon, all those healthy portions, we build up that capacity as strong as we can. And we continue to build up, build up, build up so that we kind of offload what that degenerative portion is doing so that we don't need that degenerative portion anymore because our tendon is so strong, all the rest of it, all those healthy portions um, is so, so strong to, for, to, can, to tolerate all that level of running. And uh, yeah, that's how it works. And over time, that degenerative portion isn't needed anymore. And so symptoms settle down. The tendon is so healthy, like you're actually building up that tendon capacity so much that those healthy portions are just taking on all the weight. And so you can get back to being fully functional and getting back to pain-free running um, if you do the right rehab because we're just strengthening up those healthy portions. 
I think that's a really kind of in a microcosm why you shouldn't let even kind of these small injuries that don't go away fester because they can, unbeknownst to you, maybe turn into something that requires some serious intervention down the road. So if there's any somebody out there who has a, a twingy this or a, a slightly sore that and you've had it forever, um, that might be something that you don't have to necessarily live with. It can be corrected. Yeah. And I, I've been told a wide range of misconceptions here like people saying like tendons don't heal um you're always going to have this because it's degenerative it's never going to go away you just have to live with this i've had a runner come to me um where her surgeon said you're going to need surgery because tendons don't heal and it's just like when you're being told this it's it's extremely disempowering it's extremely frustrating um especially when they love running they want to do it and they've been told that they're going to have to deal with this for the rest of their lives it's yeah, it's heartbreaking because a lot of runners just want to run. They want to get back to pain-free running and they've been told this information, which brings on another issue in itself of if you, if you start believing those myths, if you start believing that information is being received to you, then you're never really going to get better because how does someone get better? It's the brain thinking we're never going to get better. And so the, the pain signals continue, the, the lack of healing continues and just spirals out of control. And so, yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking, but that's why we need to listen to the right people and follow the right uh, guidelines and read the right evidence. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's why it's out there. And you are definitely one of the right people to listen to, I think. And okay, I do have one final question. For runners who have experienced a serious injury, whether or not it's running related, the return to running can be really scary because they're afraid of getting re-injured. How do you help runners kind of get through that, um, that mental anguish of, I am so afraid of becoming re-injured. I'm not moving the way I should be. Such a good question. I love it. And the, it's really real because there's someone who's had say plantar fasciitis for five years and then they haven't tried running and they want to get back into running, but they're very, very fearful. Uh, it's just a very gradual process for them. Uh, might not necessarily be for the capacity of the, the issue, but for mental confidence, um, that might be, okay, can we do walking? Can we walk uphill? And we do these really, really gradual steps where it's not threatening enough because if I can walk for 30 minutes, then I can do uphill walking. That doesn't seem like a big issue. It doesn't seem like a big step. It doesn't make them too anxious. But then once they get back to, um, if they get back, to, if they're walking hills quite nicely, can you do it quite fast? Yeah, I, can, I could try doing it a little bit faster okay, now you're doing hills really fast. Let's go back to the flats. Let's jog for 10 seconds. Can you do that? And you just make these really, really gradual adjustments to help calm down their mind and say, hey, you're jogging for 30 seconds. How about we do that every 10 minutes of your walk? And they say, you know, I could probably handle that. And so it's it's really, really gradual and just trying to find a next step, a next progression, which doesn't provoke a lot of anxiety. And along the way, first of all, the the injury itself gets better because we're slowly hitting that adaptation zone and slowly progressing. But two, we're slowly addressing their anxiety by just having these slow um, exposures to something that might be threatening. If we were walking on the flats and then someone said, hey, let's jog for 10 seconds every 10 minutes, that might be too much of a step. So just break it up into smaller pieces and slowly progress them. And their confidence starts to increase and their anxiety starts to decrease along the way. And yes, it is extremely gradual, but that's what they might need depending on the individual. But a lot of a lot of runners aren't that anxious. That's this is like a real severe example. But this is exactly exactly like that. Let's if you can't walk, hey, how about we bike ride and see how that goes? And then yeah, work their way up from there. 
That is fantastic. This has been, I mean, I'm pretty sure we could keep going for another hour. Definitely could. <laughs> but uh, if people, well, we have to do a part two at some point. Um, if people want to find you, where can they do that? Uh, so the best place to go would be to search the Run Smarter podcast. It's the um, the first go-to that I want a lot of runners to head to, to like invest in knowledge themselves rather than just asking me a question straight away. Um, definitely listen to the first 10 episodes. They, they're the, the 10 universal principles to overcome any injury every single episode. So that's what all runners should know. And then you can start flicking through the the 120 episodes I have and just flick through what's, um, what's relevant. But... Uh, yeah, find the podcast. And then if you do have any other issues, most people reach out to me on say Facebook or Instagram. I think we can include those links in the show notes. If they have any questions that might arise, if they do have any unique um, situations, which they haven't found answers for, then I'm more than happy to answer that. Um, but most people do reach out either on the Facebook groups or, or Instagram or something, but I can also provide my email as well. So um, Brody at runsmarter.online, which you can and the show notes, I guess. Um, yeah, that's where they can find me. That's awesome. I'll link all of those things below. And do you, you have a, you have your online run cl- or, you know, clinic. Um, do you treat patients around the world and virtually and all of that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I do offer online physio. It's the only form of physio that I currently do. Um, so breakthroughrunning.physio is my website and they can go to the, the website. And if they wanted to do uh, online physio, if they need running assessments or to rehab a certain injury and they need exercises or running programs and like just advice, education. A lot of the times that's what I'm currently doing. Um, then we can discuss that. But like I said, I, I want people to invest in the knowledge themselves first and learn a whole bunch of these principles. And then if you uh, still have answers or you still require some assistance, then that's when you can check out other avenues. Yes. I'm also a big fan of, you know, it's not enough to be just told to do something. I really think that people should understand why. And I, you know, injury prevention, injury rehab, I think is definitely part of that. The more you know your body, the better off you'll be just overall. Yeah, totally agree. Well, awesome. Well, uh, have a good rest of you. You are um, 15 hours ahead of me, something like that, because you are on the other side of the world. But uh, so I hope you have an awesome rest of your week and we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Elizabeth. Had a lot of fun. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find me on Instagram at Running Explained or at my website, runningexplained.co. If you have a question you'd like to have answered, you can submit it in my stories every Monday or email me at elizabeth at runningexplained.co. That's E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H at runningexplained.co. Until next time, happy running! This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.